Hey, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and straight-up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. My hope for our listeners is that you can take away a special nugget of information from each of these interviews, something that will serve you and the people most important to you in pursuing a life built on purpose. My name is Brian Moore, co-founder and managing partner of Y Scouts, and today I'm interviewing Andy Cernovitz. Andy is absolutely a what-you-see-is-what-you-get type of guy. No hidden agendas, no bullshit. He's passionate about the concept of word-of-mouth marketing. In fact, he wrote the book on it, Word-of-Mouth Marketing, How Smart Companies Get People Talking, is a New York Times bestseller. Andy is also the founder and CEO of GasPedal.com, a company dedicated to building online communities. When you visit GasPedal.com, you'll notice something quite different. His entire website is oriented around the employment brand of the company, a topic we dive into quite a bit during this interview. We're also going to talk about GasPedal's imaginary recruiter, Preston Firestone. And we're going to talk about how Preston has helped Andy and his team avoid some massive hiring mistakes. I had a great time chatting with Andy. And for those of you who care deeply about your company's employment brand and the importance of hiring the right people, this is one interview you're going to want to listen to more than once. Enjoy the stimulating conversation with Andy Cernovitz. Well, good morning, Andy. It is such a pleasure to have you with us here this morning. Thank you so much. I know you're busy, and it's great to be able to spend some time with you here this morning. So thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be with this group of fantastic people you've been talking to. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And, and where I want to start, Andy, is there's there's likely a few folks that uh, have either been living under a rock or maybe abroad and don't know who you are. So I want to give uh, everyone a sense of who you are and really where this rabid passion for word-of-mouth marketing for you comes from. So, two questions. Um, so, I run a company called Gas Pedal, and we build communities. So, we bring together people, you know, usually big companies, who have a shared purpose and a shared mission and are often the lone spokesperson for social or sustainability or other big ideas inside their big company, and we bring them together to help each other. So that's the, that's the business. So we're into culture as a function of we build cultures, you know, communities of, that have our culture. That's what a community is for our members. And then we do that ourselves for our own company. And the, the word of mouth marketing side is our, our history. You know, we, we've always been passionate. I've always been passionate about this idea that the secret to business is earn the respect and recommendation of your customer and they'll get all their friends to talk about you and companies that make people happy, make more money and companies that don't see customers walking out the door. And that's a, that's a wonderful idea that there's some economic machine that will reward companies that treat us right and punish companies that treat us wrong. And I mean, it's good guys, good guys win. So in a sense, what I'm hearing, if I can just uh, distill it a bit, and, and there's certainly more to it, but happiness is an economic engine or can be. Absolutely. And happiness, happiness is an economic engine. A word of mouth is the, word of mouth is the economic engine. It's the, it's the, 
you can have happy customers, but how do you translate happiness into economic performance or business performance? Um, it's just straight old-fashioned customer acquisition math and customer retention math that if I have got happy customers bringing their friends to do business with me and I'm competing against somebody who has to pay to acquire new customers, I have an amazing advantage. If I have happy customers who stay longer, so I have a better retention rate, I always win against a company that's losing existing customers out the back door. So happiness, straight up business math. Absolutely. So I, I want everyone to know uh, that this is not new for you. This is a, this is a topic, this word of mouth marketing, marketing in general, but specifically word of mouth marketing and the power of your concept is something that you've been working on, at least through my research, since really the early 90s and likely even before that. Uh, give us a sense of how did you know that this was where you wanted to spend your time? Uh, I, could, I can tell you very specifically. Um, uh, even in high school, I ended up working at direct mail companies, which are really about, and, and political fundraising companies, which was all about storytelling. You know, if you can write something great, people will respond. You know, there's no, there's no subtlety to it. You have to say something that's so interesting that people want to talk to you. And that's the, that's the 1980s version of my life. And then in 93, I believe, I was running a trade group and we hired this guy named Seth Godin that no one had really heard of at the time, who had a brand new book called Permission Marketing. And he's talking about how the simple, the simple barter that we make, especially in American culture, which says, if you entertain me or inform me, it's okay to stick some ads in there. You know, from the very first TV, the very first newspapers, like as long as you give me something of value and I'll trade you my permission to talk to me about what you do. And that idea that you earn permission and that you make people want to talk to you by you know, being of service, um, that was the start of all of it. And if you follow the flow of that theme from direct mail to email marketing to e-commerce, uh, to word of mouth marketing, which really became a word, word of mouth marketing as an industry really popped up in 04, beyond just word of mouth as the abstract concept. And then you throw social media in there two or three years later as a hyper accelerated version of the same thing. Um, the theme is the same though. If you say something nice that people value, you entertain them, you inform them, you do something that adds to their lives, they'll let you talk to them forever. And the moment you bombard them with crappy advertising, they'll tell you to screw off. Wonderful, wonderful exchange. Absolutely. And so let, let me, if I may, I want to take this just a step further beyond being nice and being kind, which I think are awesome. I mean, the world would be, let's face it, a much better place if, they, if people were a bit more kind. It reminds me of the bumper sticker that I'm sure we've all seen that mean people suck. Um, but taking it a step further, love. It's a theme that is consistent throughout all of your work and all of the research that I've done on you. Yet, in my humble opinion, love has been a very taboo subject when it comes to culture and, and when it comes to the workplace, when it comes to leadership um, and how executives lead their businesses and their teams. Why do you think love is so taboo when it comes to leading teams as it relates to, to cultures? Most, it's a good question. Um, and partly it's just, it's awkward. You know, it's, you're talking about loving your team, loving your job. Um, I think it's, it's, it's just not something that's part of your business vocabulary. But I think for most people, it's a, it's a foreign concept. 
you know, most people don't love their work. I think most people were raised in families. Lots of people were raised in families where mom and dad hated their boss, hated their job. And you're, we're trained from childhood that work is a bad thing. And then occasionally you hear about these wonderful special companies that people love their jobs. And it's such a foreign concept uh, that it's such a, it's such a barrier of skepticism. I mean, frankly, it's, um, it's our biggest challenge, both recruiting employees or recruiting a team and recruiting members to the organizations that we start because people don't believe you can have a great workplace. Uh, they've never experienced it, so it sounds like a bunch of website talk. And people don't believe that a group of companies in a collaborative peer-to-peer -peer thing could actually be meaningful and not some boring trade association. So you got to fight that. You got to fight that skepticism. How, how how much of that skepticism? And I want to transition a bit and, and talk about because you've spent a, a good chunk of your career uh, teaching at both Wharton uh, and Northwestern. And, and by the way, I decided I see you decided to really uh, slum it with with those school choices. By the way, um, as you, I'm kidding, of course. As you think about the time you've spent with students in the classroom. And clearly getting a sense of what they're being taught by some of the other professors specific to how business is being taught. I'm curious, are you finding that during your, your, uh, your experiences in teaching at some of the finest institutions that you're having to maybe undo or unwind some of the old school traditional, you know, Milton Friedman and the only social responsibility of business is to maximize shareholder value no matter what philosophies? Surprisingly, no. I mean, like, I didn't teach that much, so I don't want to take too much credit for that, but a, a few semesters here and there. But um, these days, I think it's, it, you know, you know a, a career of service and combining service with business. And when you look at Com companies like Method or Cliff or any any Patagonia, any mission-driven brand, I think it's a it's a familiar concept. It's something that people aspire to. I think it's something that people hunger to. Uh, the, the the bigger thing that I think we all fight is that it's harder to run a nice business. I think it's harder to run a good business. And the long-term economics win, but the short-term economics are tougher. And a good example of that is, you know. Social media can turn into a giant gob of shit. You know, when we go from the original social media was community building. How do we find fans who love our company and build deep, deep personal relationships with our fans? Um, so true, true relationships. And you can build that for years. And you've got this great community who would support your company, will fight your, for your company, will bring you customers, will defend you against detractors. But you could drop $20 million on a TV campaign and throw your Facebook and Twitter link in there. And that cheesy, just mass marketing, you know, counted by clicks can bring a wave of random people that will drown out all that good community building you do. So it's really easy to do badly. Um, and we see this in the media where we all see how media is just turning into clickbait and it sucks. Uh, native advertising is my, one of my huge pet peeves because it's, it's easier to do it shittily if you have money because you can always just pay to run bad stuff but good wholesome 
love earning business takes work and takes care and takes emotion. And it's hard to give a shit all the time. <laughs> that's for sure. I'm saying, I'm saying shit a lot. Sorry. You no, that's that. all right. And actually, not not only have you said shit a couple of times, I think I heard you say shittily. And and I'm going to write that one down. You're you're creating words as we go. I love it. Well, uh-huh. if you live in Philadelphia for six years, you learn. <laughs> that's awesome. So specific to social media, you know, much has been said that as a result of this explosion in connectivity, that as a human race, we're more connected than we've ever been. Yet the relationships that we have are weaker and perhaps more superficial than, they, than, than they've ever been. What, what's your take on that whole notion? I don't know if I have a take. It's um, it's if I if I bring it back to the 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 workplace culture question, you know, there's there's still there's still lots of baggage. Everyone's got baggage, and it's hard. So, you know, where do you where do you draw the line between a company that everybody cares about each other? Um, and if you come into that with a with a positive attitude, that's just wonderful. But if you come into that with a negative attitude, everybody's up in your business. Um, we talk a lot about this, this is a big theme for us these days that there's there's two perspectives on receiving feedback and if you're in a negative mindset or you don't have a growth mindset every piece of feedback feels like micromanagement and it's awful and you've, if you've got those those lenses on every time a boss or a colleague talks to you about what could be different you just absolutely hate them and you hate where you work and it feels like everyone's just on you all the time. But if you look at it from the perspective of an athlete or a performer, an actor or a musician or a writer, you know, where there are professions that are all about train, critique, improve, train, critique, improve, where every bit of feedback is how you get great and how you develop mastery of craft. In those kind of cultures, the more feedback you can get, the more nitpicking is a positive. And you love it because that's how you become a champion. So the, how you frame people's entry into those feedback moments colors every subsequent piece of feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned growth mindset, and uh, I'm assuming it was uh, in reference to Dweck's work on you know growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And I'm curious, have you had any experiences where you've had teammates uh, throughout your career that perhaps consistently looked at critique and feedback with a fixed mindset, yet you've been able to, through coaching, through uh, mentorship, uh, help them grow and understand that it's simply the way in which they're looking at the feedback. Have you had any experiences where you've been able to make a help somebody transform the way they're looking at things? It's hard. Um, I think it's, um, it depends where someone is in their career and where they're coming from. So if you look at, if you look at our company website, gaspedal.com, which is you know, a recruiting website, we're absurdly transparent because we want that that story and those expectations out there before somebody starts. So we're really clear, like this is how we are, this is why we do what we do. And if you don't like that, that's okay, but you're gonna hate it here. And the more we can pre-communicate, like this is, this is what we do, this is what we love, and this is what we don't do, and we hope you like it here. <laughs> 
we, we talk a lot about, um, we compare the company to an Indian restaurant. And, you know, we are all working here and we are an amazing Indian restaurant and we, uh, we cook the best food and every day we think about how we can become the best Indian restaurant in the world. But some people don't like Indian food. Some customers don't like it and some, you know, restaurant workers don't like it. Uh, but we're never going to start cooking hamburgers. <laughs> because we'd make terrible hamburgers and we'd be a terrible Indian restaurant and they still wouldn't be happy. So we're really clear. Like that's what we're going to do. We're going to be the best Indian restaurant in the world. And if that's not your thing, that's okay. Uh, and, and find your joy somewhere. We hope you find your joy. We'd love to help you find your joy. And this is where we find our joy. And if that's, if you're one of those kind of people, come join us. I, I thought it was uh super cool. And I've got to tip my hat to you. Um, I had visited a variety of different resources to, uh, to do my research on you on gas pedal, on word of mouth marketing, on socialmedia.org, on and on, on damn, I wish I'd thought of that, which we'll, we'll get into some of that, uh, here in a bit. Uh, but clearly one of the recruiting tools that many individuals use, uh, is Glassdoor. And there were a variety of different comments, uh, on Glassdoor with regard to gas pedal. And I thought what was so cool is, those comments you just shared about, listen, this is who we are. It's not for everybody. The people who love it, love it. The people who don't, don't. And that's cool. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to mince words. I lost you there. I think we need to rewind. And oh, I apologize. Can you hear me now? Yeah, because you know, it was, it was a go-to-meeting or go-to-webinar glitch. Yeah, awesome. Love that. I felt like a Verizon commercial with the, can you hear me yeah, now? It's still happening. Let's, let's make small talk for a minute and then you can cut it out. And All right. That's that sounds good. I wonder if it's uh, I wonder if it's my web connection here. Interesting. Yeah, sounds like it's better now. All right, fantastic. Thanks for the heads up. I appreciate it. Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the resources that uh, that I had tapped into um, was Glassdoor, and as I was doing my research on you and on Gas Pedal and on all the different things that you're involved in, and what I thought was so cool, and this relates specifically to your comment around. Uh, you know, we're an, we're an Indian restaurant. You're comparing yourself to an Indian restaurant and those who like it, love it. And those who don't, don't. And I thought it was so cool. And uh, my, my, I tip my hat to you that you went out on Glassdoor and made a, a very bold comment backing up that, listen, we're not for everybody. We don't want to be for everybody. This isn't the buffet at Cracker Barrel. This is we know who we are. We know who we want to be. And if you believe what we believe, you're going to love it. If you don't, that's cool too. Go find your happiness somewhere else. So I, I just thought it was great. And that level of transparency, I think is absolutely mission critical. And I bring that up. I've spent the last 17 years of my career in this talent recruitment employment space. And in my experience, I'd argue that one of the main ingredients that's missing from the recruiting process is authenticity. Both companies and candidates, they, they put on their best show and they're trying to impress one another throughout the process. And I'm wondering, do you agree? Do you disagree? And as you've clearly oriented gaspedal.com towards who you are and what you stand for, you know, what have you seen as a result? So two interesting topics there. So on the on the glass door thing, um, I'll say straight up, I'm a, I'm a guy in the word of mouth marketing business, and I've coached hundreds of companies on dealing with negative reviews. But man, I hate Glassdoor because they um, 
they choose not to authenticate who's posting reviews. And they easily could, whether you're really an employee or not, or whether they're a bunch of posts from the same dude who's just angry. Yeah, so I don't think they run a fair game. And I think they've got a vested interest in keeping it negative so more companies pay. But with that said, um, I'm happy that we've got almost completely five-star or one-star reviews. You either love it here or you hate our guts. I'd rather people didn't hate our guts, but yeah, the reality is if you don't like it, you're going to be, you know, you're, you can hate us and that's okay. And you can hate me if you really want it. You know, we've got a very exciting and culture that a lot of people aspire to. And we offer that love and hope in the workplace that some people just need in their lives. And it sucks to get voted off the island. You know, it sucks to not make the team. And some people get really angry. Um, and you got to just keep your, your thoughts and your heart in the place of you're creating a workplace for people who really want something special, who, who, you know, they're contributing and they're part of a happy workplace. And together you're building a place like no other place anyone's ever worked. And you just keep your eye, not on the, not on the, the frustrated folks, but you keep your eye on how many people can we change their lives? How many people can we change their careers and give them opportunities they've never had before? And you just keep your head in that, in that positive place because you're never going to make everybody happy. No, it's impossible. Absolutely impossible. So uh, 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 something you said certainly uh, resonates with me and it's this, well, I spend a lot of time and our team spends a lot of time in the leadership space and specifically in the purpose-driven leadership space. And we think there's a, a real absence of connectivity to mission by those who have the privilege and honor to lead people within organizations. And, you know, for the longest time, I think there was that running comic between I've seen it on LinkedIn or on Facebook or a you know, multitude of, of places. It's between the CFO and the CEO. And, you know, the CFO uh, or the C, excuse me, the CEO says to the CFO, hey, we need to invest in our people in order to, you know, to help them grow and improve. And it's going to deliver great results for those we serve. And the CFO responds by saying something to the effect of, well, what happens if we spend all this money and invest in these folks and they leave? And the CEO responds and says, well, what happens if we don't invest in them and they stay? And what's interesting about that comic is, and why your comments resonate with me so much, is that you know, the days of staying with the same company for 20, 30 years and getting your pension are, are likely all gone, yet that has somehow translated to an, an intense lack of loyalty between employer and employee, so much so that we're doing as little as possible to invest in our people, and then they leave. And instead, I think if we reverse the equation and, and, and thought about the importance of investing in people and, and bring the philosophy of, listen, I know as a new member of our team, you may not spend your entire career with us, but I am going to, no matter what, help you become a better person for having spent time in our organization. And so if and when you do leave, you will have left a better person. And I think it's, I think it's just such a critical mindset shift that needs to occur. And I, I have to assume you probably feel the same. Yeah. I mean, it's um, very much so. I mean, I think, I think that the, the, dot com universe and we're now three booms in or whatever bubble three bubbles into this thing um we've really just 
screwed up people's expectations. It's um, you know, we've defi we've defined success at work as go from job to job. You know, we tell millennials that's what they're going to do. You know, well, millennials won't stick around and become self-fulfilling. Um, we celebrate the the startup culture, the startup sellout culture, and don't talk about the business building culture anymore. And even some of the bastions of build a great business, like Inc. Magazine, still get sucked into the the cover story about the unicorn of the week. But I think there's even a my my pet issue like a, that really undermines that idea of a deep relationship, a deep long-term relationship with the people you work with comes down to real estate. I mean, the whole open space, you know, jam everybody into a big warehouse is uh, probably one of the biggest business scams, longest running business scams we've heard in generations. <laughs> yeah, you, we want you to we we want you to be a loyal employee. This is a place where you're going to be happy for the long term. And here is a card table and a $700 chair and a pair of headphones. Like it couldn't feel more temporary right. and more meaningless. And we talk about the, the virtues of the open workspace. We've all heard the same stories. But bottom line, when your kid comes to the office and you can't say, this is where mommy works. This is where daddy works. You know, here is the family picture on the wall. This is the place where I nest and put down roots and I have my own space here. You know, without that, you're telling people they're temporary. You know, we're going to build a really expensive office that's decorated like a Costco and long row of tables and stick around. So I mean, we just spent, uh, for a, we're, you know, we're a small business. We only have 30 people, but we just bought a 20,000 square foot warehouse that'll sit only 50 people where everybody gets a private office because we're assuming people are going to stick around. And we signed a 20-year mortgage because we're not going anywhere. And we hope that the babies that are being born to staff today, you know, will host their high school graduation parties. I mean, what a different philosophy, the way you're approaching it. And, and uh, you know, I was reading about the decision that you guys made, and I'm assuming this 20,000-square-foot uh, facility uh, is the one that's on this 40-plus uh, acre ranch. Is that is that the case? Yeah, we got a 44 acres in Austin, Texas. And the 20,000 square foot warehouse, which next month we'll move into our office. And maybe just as important is there's a little guest house, which is the, the employee B&B. So when mom and dad come to visit, you can put them up at the company house. And it's so meaningful, especially for someone who's early in their career and the chance to host your parents and, you know, do something special and show that you're, you're at a place that takes care of the whole family. That's a big deal. That is a really big deal. And, and I, uh, again, uh, at, at the risk of sounding like I'm just uh, doting on you, you know, it really flies in the face of, let's face it, the, uh, the Netflix culture deck, which gained, I think it was probably the most viewed slide share uh, of all time. And I remember it vividly. Uh, you know, and it states we are not a family, we're a team. And, and they're, they're, they were very specific about that. And you're taking, a very different approach. Now, that's not to say that you don't have incredibly high expectations. You're trying to build something incredibly special. You do need uh, significant profit to continue to invest in what you're doing, but your orientation around that really flies in the face of that and uh, is far more family-oriented for the right types of family members than, um, than, than perhaps you know, what has gained a lot of popularity. 
Yeah, it was interesting because that Netflix deck has some great things and some things that aren't so great. But the um, so much of the the stuff we hear about culture contradicts common sense, but it's just trendy. You know, the the cost of providing people a real office versus a cube, you know, an eight by eight office versus right. an eight by eight cube is a couple thousand dollars more per year. It's, it's a trivial extra expense. But, you know, we don't do it. You know, the cost of us buying this beautiful ranch and all this all this space is less than we'd spend getting hip, cool office space downtown. Right. But we send a very different message. So it's it's there's so many things where we send these signals that you know you you don't matter. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. It's um yeah, you know, just there's there's great cultures. You know, think about the whole person. Think about real life. Think about the fact that every time you get an after-hours email, you're eroding that loyalty. Every time you ask someone to show up on a weekend, every time you take away people's personal lives, you're saying there's not really a, a equal trade-off here. And so you got to take care of people. And frankly, it's not hard. No, it's no, it's really not. It, it really isn't. Let, let's let's talk about recruiting for a minute, and, and specific to gas pedal. Um, you guys have done something of, well, not something, a variety of really interesting things. Um, you know, you, you've already brought up that you have oriented the entire gas pedal site as a very career focused site. It's being used to build your employer brand and why you're doing what you're doing, what you guys stand for, what it's like to work there. But you've you've taken some other interesting steps, and and one of them is Preston Firestone. <laughs> Let's talk about Preston Firestone, and I don't want to give it away, so maybe you can share with our audience who's Preston Firestone. I'll tell you all about Preston. So Preston is our imaginary recruiter, and it was this persona that I invented when it was a two man company, and all these job applications were coming in, and I was. You know, responding by email, and it just seemed weird that the CEO was responding to job applications, especially if we were rejecting people. So when we were tiny, we invented this guy, and Preston is our our imaginary recruiter, and that's his actual job title. And over the years, we've discovered that Preston has been really, really useful. So it's very open. You know, when you apply, you get a reply from Preston. If you looked at Preston on the on the website and looked at his bio, it says. Preston is a fake person and it's got a, the photo is Frank Zappa. There's no subtlety about it at all. <laughs> and that's what we discovered that Preston screens for people who bother to read the website, uh, people who've got a sense of humor because most people think it's really funny that we have an imaginary recruiter. And again, we're not subtle that his signature file in his email says Preston Firestone, imaginary recruiter. I'm not a real person. There's no, no trick to it. And, um, but what we really discovered is Preston is a wonderful screen for assholes. And people will call and they'll ask to speak to Preston. And of course, Preston's never there because he's imaginary. <laughs> so someone else answers the phone and it might be me or it might be a receptionist or anybody. And that's where you get people who are mean to support staff. Well, you tell Preston I called. That's where people will more often than you'd expect lie and say, hey, I had a meeting with Preston and he told me it's time to have an interview with the CEO. People will describe in great detail their conversations with Preston. So he's been a wonderful screen for, uh, on the negative side, assholes and liars, and uh, on the positive side, people who 
put some time into reading the website, people with a sense of humor, you know, people who we might enjoy spending some time with. Yeah, that's awesome. I, so I have to ask, um, where'd the name originate from? How'd you choose Preston and Firestone? Which, by the way, is just kind of the, that, what a cool name. You made it up. I don't know. No, no one remembers. Preston has been our head of HR since 1999. So it's um, been a long time that Preston's been on the team. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, uh, on, on your site, uh, or somewhere I read, and it may not be exactly on the site, but I believe it is, uh, you said something to the effect of that there's really only a handful of truly culture-driven organizations out there. You know, there's a lot to talk about, missions and values, but but very few actual real cultures because culture's, culture's hard. It's hard because it takes emotion, introspection, commitment, and just endless work. Um, and it's also hard because it requires a different kind of recruiting, one that's not transactional only where, uh, or should I say, skills-based only where resume and skills and keywords fit the job description. Have you figured any secrets out at Gas Pedal in recruiting for culture other than Preston? Every, everything we do is about recruiting for culture. If frankly, there's any, any set of skills, you can find a bunch of people who have those skills. It's hard, you gotta go through the recruiting process, but you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of people who could do any given job. That our entire recruiting philosophy is, is finding people who can, who can be a true culture fit. And so Preston's a gimmick. I mean, it's a, it's a minor thing. Um, what really drives culture, and I, I might have to back into this answer a bit. Um, you mentioned earlier, and we didn't really talk about authenticity. Like for us, I think maybe the one overwhelming thing that helps us build great culture is total transparency. And that's why our website is massive and talks about everything good and bad is the more we share, and the more we're open and the more we tell that story about here's who we are, here's what it's like to work here, here's what we love, here's what we hate, uh, the more we attract people who would thrive in that environment and the more we you know, detract or de you know, drive away probably the people who just wouldn't think it's good. And frankly, every time we hire someone who isn't a culture fit and you know, doesn't work out fairly quickly, we go back and say, what did we miss in our storytelling that made this person think they'd love it here? Or how did we miss something in the conversation with them? Like, what didn't we ask? Because you should know what you're getting into. And I don't know how weird we are on the weird company scale, but the more we can share, the more we'll get that great fit, which is sort of backs into our, our definition of culture is very specific. Because there's a lot of you know, crappy definitions of culture. Like, well, we got some core values. Don't steal, don't touch people inappropriately, and work hard. You know, like, those, those aren't values. Um, there's a lot of a lot of fake culture out there. Real, real culture is two things. It's an agreement on a destination. You know, we're working to build this. And for that half, you're looking for people who say, you know what, I would love to build that. It would be amazing. And the second half of the culture definition is, here's how we get there. Here's how we like to work. Because if you like to work that way, you'll love doing it. And now you're describing with the two halves of the, of the conversation, it's a shared journey and the, the, the shared 
way you spend your time on that journey. And that's where someone is going to find that they absolutely love their job every single day. And it isn't a right or wrong set of choices. Like this is the right destination or the wrong destination, or this is the right or wrong ways of working. It's about being super, super clear that this is how it's going to be. And if you find your joy this way, or if you thrive in this environment, you're going to have an amazing experience here. And if not, that's totally okay. Like you're just going to hate us and you're not going to enjoy it as much. And it's no different than, you know, which friends you would choose to go on a road trip with. And I think one of our, one of our examples of this, I think helps a lot in the interview process is the idea of collaboration. And some people are sort of deep thinker writers who love to go in a dark room, work on their stuff, edit it, polish it, and present something finished. Some people love to sit around and throw a draft in Google Docs and everybody will comment and we'll have a brainstorming session and we'll rewrite it on the fly and we'll all work together until it's amazing. Two equally valid ways of working, equal numbers of people love one or the other. But man, if you are a sit and work by yourself and make it great kind of person, you are going to hate the sit around and pick at it until it's great kind of team. Sure. So again, we just shared this is, you know, we love to sit around and there's nothing you're ever going to write that a whole bunch of people aren't going to talk about. Mm -hmm. We love to make it right together. So cool if that's not your trip, but that's what it's going to be like. So, you know, you'll hate us. Just tell you right now, unless that's, that's something, you know, you love to do. So, you know, uh, so much of this, just to me, I'm trying to boil this down into really simple equations and, you know, not to, not to uh, steal from Chip Conley and the emotional equations book. That was uh, just such a great book. Um, you know, you talked about culture having these two distinct halves, where you're going and how you're going to get there and the behaviors and the way you're going to interact with one another. So creating a shared vision that others can see themselves living into and then the way in which you're going to go about achieving and, and chasing that vision. Do you think it's really a, a where plus how equals happiness when you get it right? That And that's where happy employees and teammates come from? Is, is it that simple? In a lot of ways, yeah. And um, there's so much, um, there's, 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 there's so many different good companies. There are so many people who can find joy in their work in different ways. And there really isn't a right or wrong. I mean, I just came out totally bashing open workplaces. But lots of people love it, and I think sure. it's the greatest thing in the world. Sure. And I'm not right or wrong. I just I like what I like. Yep. And I hope a bunch of other people who like that too will think it's cool to work with me. Yeah. I mean, we built a bunch of private offices. I'd like to fill them up. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this just gets to that that core notion of, you know, surround yourself with people who believe what you believe. It uh, seems fairly simple. So it doesn't even have to be unified belief. It's just I think I think the how I think we under. I think we undervalue the how, like the day-to-days of work. Yep. Um, graded people more than most companies think about. So they're thinking grandiose values and the big mission. But sometimes the little stuff that just drives people away. I mean, a, a good example for us, a recent example is, you know, we're a really family-driven company, meaning not employee family, but lots of our staff are either newly married, just had kids, probably two thirds of the people have elementary school kids in the office. And so a big part of our work style is super intensity for the full workday 
But when it's time to go, we just haul ass out of the office. You know, there's rarely anybody at work at 502. Uh, but not because it's a nine to five culture. We just, we like our lives and that's the number one perk. So we earn that freedom every day, but we have no social life as a company. So every time we want to do a happy hour or a, you know, after work party, it's so, it's so different than how everyone's arranged their lives mm-hmm. because we've hired people who'd love to spend time with their families. We also have rugby players and roller derby champs and DJs. Like everyone's got their own life and, Having your own life is a perk of working here. So we got to get really clear that, you know, if you want a, a happy hour culture, if you want to party with your teammates, like we just don't do it. And again, that's okay. But the more we talk about that, the more uh, people who are really looking for that same kind of thing, you know, will love to work here. Yep. Have you, have you found that because you're so open and so transparent about it, that individuals who find an, an opportunity that looks like a, a particular role they can fill. Um, they use the openness and the transparency to their advantage and end up convincing themselves that, th- that that's what they want. They convince you or your teammates through the interview process that that's what they want. And unfortunately, you know, a few weeks, months into the role, it's not what they want and they end up leaving. Has it been a case of trying to convince myself that that's what I want and it's really not? There's, yeah, we, we, we do pay a price for it in two ways. Um, it's a lot of people, it's, it's, a very, it's a very hopeful story that we tell. There's a lot of people out there with shitty jobs. And so we attract people who just want the kind of workplace energy and culture that we have, but don't necessarily work well in that environment or have the skills for whatever particular job they're applying for. So it's a lot of people who are just, they just want the environment and they're hoping so much, but it doesn't translate into success when you get there because mm-hmm. you still got to do the job. Sure. Um, and the other, the other price we pay is, um, is when people leave, you know, after a short stint, you know, it doesn't work out for whatever reason. And these are those one star reviews on Glassdoor um, that there's a lot of promise and there's a lot of hope and it's extremely positive. And when it doesn't work out for you, you get angry and you get pissed and, Either you feel like you were bait and switched or it was all a story. And you know, it's, hard, it's hard. It's an emotional time when a job doesn't work out, especially one that you put a lot of, a lot of hope into. And so you know, we get a lot of angry, angry backlash when it doesn't work out. And the shorter the, the, shorter the stay, the angrier folks usually are. Mm-hmm. But you know, we, we can't stop telling the true story. We can't stop being authentic about who we are. We can't stop sharing. We can't stop working for the people who thrive in this environment. You got to take care. You got to do the best you can for the people who you've got. And you got to do the best you can for everyone who can do something great. And every time we make someone's career, every time we give them a new opportunity, every time we allow someone to achieve greatness, that's a special moment. And you have to do everything you can to help the people who you can do the most for and try to try to to the best you can to minimize the, the backlash, but it's not about who you can't help. It's about who you can help. Try and find those who uh, love Indian food, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your blog just for a moment. Damn, I wish I'd thought of that. And uh, damniwish.com is the, uh, is the blog URL. And I, I've got to, I just have to share a quick story with you. So um, 
I was at a conference uh, about a month or so ago, and it came time. The keynote was finished, and there was time left over for Q&A. And we've all been at that conference where you've got a couple of individuals who are running around frantically with a handheld microphone attempting to get to those who are raising their hand. And Q&A time comes, and sure enough, I'm expecting to see these runners, these microphone runners running around this gigantic conference hall. But instead, the keynote has this box, and it's called a catch box. And I'm assuming you've heard of it, but if you haven't, I'll be happy to. I don't think so. Oh, you're oh, it's that microphone you throw? Through? Yeah, the microphone in a box. And, it, you know, as the keynote explains what it is, it's a lavalier microphone tucked neatly inside this styrofoam cushy. You can throw it. You, you could get hit in the head with it. It's not going to hurt. You're not going to break the mic. And all you have to do is speak into this cushy box. And you toss it around the room. And as I... As I, now in chatting with you, you know, giving people something remarkable to talk about, giving them something, an experience that makes them happy, uh, give them something to create word of mouth. And, you know, I bring it up two reasons. One, that, that this company is doing that. It's called Catchbox, just spelled just like it sounds. And, and number two, damn, I wish I thought of that. I mean, <laughs> such an easy, simple idea. Hey, let's put a microphone in something that you can throw around the room and create audience engagement and experience uh, instead of, you know, relying on people running around with a handheld mic, which, you know, unfortunately just isn't nearly as much fun. So I share that as a, as, as a lead into your blog and the damn I'd wish I thought of that. Um, where'd that come from? What, what's the fascination around the blog and, and where do you draw inspiration? It's, um, that's interesting. That, the blog is older than my children. So I think it was 01 it started. So it wasn't a blog then. It was just an email you sent out once a week. Like a newsletter it, type um, thing? It's um, yeah, back, in the, back in, the, in the day when, you know, pre-social. But yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think, I think there's, a, um, there's a humility to being good at business. And yeah, everyone, everyone thinks they got to reinvent the world. And so much of startup culture is about disrupt and change and tear it all down and great great business isn't actually that hard it's doing a lot of little things right and just continuous everyday improvement and looking out there and saying that's pretty cool and i should do that and i should try that and you know the 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 openness or humility i'm not sure which how those fit together to recognize that the world is full of great ideas and you just look for the ones that are the most accessible to you and applicable to you and try that but it's not you know the, the world isn't being changed by you know the facebook's as much as it is by you know these just simpler little everyday things that add up into something big yeah so i want to i, I want to finish things off here and and this has been great i hope you've enjoyed it as well andy it's been great chatting with you uh what this has become a bit of a, a more recent staple question of mine um, I'm a huge, huge fan of music. Music is something that is just a, a huge part of my life. And, uh, it's my deserted Island question. If, if, uh, if you're going to get stuck on one for a period of time, let's just call it a long period of time. What three albums are you taking with you? 
Well, I'll give you three artists because there's it's really not up for discussion. There's there's only three. Um, so it's uh, George, Jerry, and Frank. So George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic, Jerry Garcia, and The Grateful Dead, and uh, everything by Frank Zappa. Wow. Well, we're, we're going to have to have uh, another podcast at some point and really dive into uh, Jerry and the boys. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to check out uh, anything about me, but uh, yeah, we've got a lot of a lot of other musical stuff to talk about, Andy. So we'll we'll have to save that for a later time. Um, I, I, uh, again, what a pleasure to chat with you. Um, and by the way, we didn't even touch on your New York Times bestselling book, Word of Mouth Marketing, How Smart Companies Get People Talking. Obviously, you can check that out on Amazon, uh, gaspedal.com. Uh, and for all of you out there that are curious about how Andy and his team are using their website, which most websites tend to be very customer or client facing, Andy and his team have chosen to orient their site towards uh, who they are, what they stand for, how they're doing what they're doing, the type of people that would enjoy enrolling and what they're up to to build a great organization. Uh, check it out. It's fascinating. You can check out his blog, The Damn I Wish I'd Thought of That at damniwish.com. Uh, we didn't even get to socialmedia.org or wordofmouth.org. I mean, there's just so much more. So we'll probably have to get together again sometime, Andy, and chat. And uh, and who knows? Maybe you and I can start a uh, a music uh, music podcast show of some sort and uh, talk about the things, uh, the musical similarities we have. So can't thank you enough. What a what a great time! And uh, maybe after uh, we stop recording here, you can hang out for a second. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to chat. But thanks for spending your time with us. It was a great conversation. Thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Cernovitz. Until next time, thank you for listening, folks. You can obtain a transcribed version of this show and hear more interviews from the Built on Purpose podcast on our website, yscouts.com forward slash podcast. If you have any questions you'd like me to send Andy, drop me a line at brian at yscouts.com and I'll gladly forward them on. If you enjoyed Andy's interview, there's several others I think you'll dig as well. John Schufelt, emergency room doc, attorney, pilot, author, speaker, coach, guitar player, CEO, <laughs> and relentless learner. Ray Del Muro, founder and CEO of Refresh Glass, and Ann Rhodes, former chief people officer at Southwest Airlines and the author of Built on Values, are just a few of the many episodes you can find at wisecouts.com forward slash podcast. I promise more great interviews are on the way. Thanks again for listening.